Well, my second talk is a little more casual, and it's really fun because it's about what? Dinosaurs. <laughs> what about those dinosaurs? All right, are you ready to go on a little journey with me? All right, here we go. Imagine for just a moment that we're all sitting in church on a Sunday morning and the pastor comes up and he says to the congregation, good morning everyone, today's sermon is on dinosaurs and all the kids are going to go, what? Yay! And all the parents are going to go, ah, yay, ah, I'm not sure about this. Should we even be talking about dinosaurs in church? Well, my answer to that is yes. And the reason being is this. We are living in a culture that is just saturated today with dinosaurs. And dinosaurs have become, shh, dinosaurs have become the poster animal for evolution. And we see it everywhere. In our children's books and on TV and our toys. And there are also dinosaur theme parks popping up all over the world and you can see this dinosaur at the visitor center in Drumheller, Alberta it's the largest dinosaur in the world and if you have the courage you and 11 of your best friends can climb up his legs and look outside of his mouth it's quite a journey we also see dinosaurs in many of the recent box office movies now i know that this is a dragon and we know the movie, but we're going to talk about dragons and dinosaurs tonight. Now, maybe the question is this. Rather than saying, should we be talking about dinosaurs in church, maybe this is a better question. Will this worldwide infatuation with dinosaurs lead our children, our young people, to the Creator, or will it lead them away from Him? You're probably thinking, oh, come on, Clarence, get over it. Everybody loves dinosaurs because they are so cool. And they can be cute. And that's true. But they can also be divisive. You see, from an evolutionary perspective, many people believe that dinosaurs are millions of years old and they died out long before man ever walked on the face of the earth. But from a creationist, and I'm going to teach tonight from a biblical perspective, that dinosaurs are not millions of years old. Now, maybe you don't, well, what are we going to do tonight? Well, dinosaurs can actually become a major stumbling block for many people to even believe in the Bible. And so the purpose of this second talk is to do this. Where did dinosaurs actually fit in the Bible? And I want to again equip you with some good answers to some common questions and show you some very good scientific evidence that you can use when sharing your faith with others. It will also help you to refute that millions of years and these other dinosaur, what I'm going to call, stumbling blocks. Now maybe today you're also saying, oh man, you know what? Is it not just easier to avoid this topic altogether? And I'm going to say, no, it's not. And the reason being is that in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, and yet we do it with gentleness and reverence. 
Folks, there's two really quick things I want you to take out of this verse. The first one is to be ready to make a defense. That's another way of saying, folks, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And the second one is this. We need to do it with gentleness and reverence. If you get in an argument with somebody, this is what happens. Argue, 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 and now you've built a wall between you. Nobody ever wins in those situations, do they? We have a great saying at CMI, and I think this is a saying that we should all adopt. What good is it to win an argument but lose the soul? You don't accomplish anything. Many people, when I go to speak in churches, they want to have a fight with me because they disagree with what I teach. But you know what? I don't engage in a fight with them because I'm going to do it with gentleness and reverence. Nobody ever wins in a fight about this. We have to share the message of the gospel with gentleness and reverence, and that's going to win them over. Let's wind back a little bit, try to figure out how do we get into this conflict in the first place? Well, according to the evolutionary geological timetable, which is being taught today in our schools as a fact, this is what we teach kids today. We say, well, this is where life came, but really way back about there, there was this, what, Big Bang 15 billion years ago, and we went through all that. How do all these miracles happen? And eventually, boom, we have this explosion of life here on Earth. And then we slowly wind our way through all these creatures, and then we reach this one right here, which is known as the age of the dinosaurs. And then about 200,000 years ago, man apparently, according to evolution, evolved on this chart. What most people don't know, however, and what I think is very interesting, is that very recently they have found beaver and parrot and squirrel and duckbill platypus fossils in the same sedimentation layers as who? Dinosaurs. Folks, if they are buried in the same layers, then that means that they had to live at the same time. Well, why then do people teach and believe this chart? Well, they hear it and they see it everywhere. The message today is just simply unrelenting that dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years ago. But we know that a straightforward reading of the Bible contradicts this completely. That God says that he made all land animals, including the dinosaurs, they were created by God alongside of man. And of course, we talked about earlier, if we add up those carefully recorded genealogies of Genesis 6, we found out that they're certainly going to add up to thousands of years, but definitely not millions of years. I want you to understand this. It could not have been millions of years because we read earlier that it was through one man that death came through sin. And so that has to include dinosaurs. This poor triceratops only could have died after man had sinned. Death, disease, and suffering of all creatures, including dinosaurs, could have only occurred after Adam had sinned. I want to take just a little tiny detour and teach you something about death. Death is very important to understand from a biological and biblical perspective. Death of grass and potatoes is not the death that they're talking about in here. They're talking about the death of creatures that have blood as their life and they have the breath of life in their nostrils. So even though we may kill the grass or eat a potato, that's not the death that they're talking about in scriptures. And so you simply cannot have then the death of dinosaurs for millions of years before Adam and Eve had sinned. 
I want to ask you again this very critical question. Who are you going to trust? Are we putting our trust in God's truth that says a literal six days? Or again, have we slipped into man's truth that's been teaching millions of years? So, how we really understand dinosaurs depends on something what we're going to call our worldview. Let me show you a little example. This is for the children. Here is a horseshoe crab. Kids, I want you to see something that really amazing happens to the crab. Are you ready? Three, two, one. What happened to my crab? He turned into a fossil. That's amazing. So, is fossilization a really slow process that takes millions of years? Or did we learn earlier that it's a rapid burial and a fast process? You see, evolution, they want to teach that it takes millions of years and that slow deposition. So here's our little crab, and he dies, and he dies right there. And then over thousands of years, apparently all these layers, they pile up. And what they do is they count these layers, and they say, well, that's 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, and they start adding them up, and that's how they're going to get all of their millions of years. However, in Genesis chapter 6, we read very clearly that there was a worldwide catastrophic flood. And this, of course, would provide the perfect conditions for what? That rapid burial and fast fossilization to occur. We saw earlier a fish eating a fish. Here's another fish eating another fish. Again, that has got to be what? Rapid burial and fast fossilization. How about this one here? How about a fossilized hat? That's not millions of years old. How about a fossilized bag of flour? You can even still see the stitches there. Remember that fossilization doesn't take millions of years. It's actually a rapid process. Let's go back to our little horseshoe crab here. Now, if you believe that the world is millions and billions of years old, well, you'll say, well, this crab is 200 million years old. But if your worldview is that it's very young, well, you say, well, this crab is only thousands of years old. He probably died in the global flood, was buried, and thus was fossilized. Well, what really is a person's worldview actually based on? Well, it's things that are taught at home. It's things that are taught in school. And perhaps a little bit more subtly, it's what is being portrayed in the culture. So we're going to try a little bit of an experiment based on your influences and your past experience. If you've seen these before, I would ask that you do not shout out what the answer is. Let everybody else work to see if they can figure it out. We're going to play a little game here called Name That Creature. Okay? Now, if you think you know the answer, you just, you just shout it out or whatever, and we'll see how we do here. If you know what it is for sure, don't say anything because we want everybody to see if they can figure it out. All right, here we go. We're going to start out with this creature. Based on your past experience, what do you think this thing is? Anybody? What is this thing? Yes, sir. A dog. Anybody else? It's a triceratops. I love that. That's a great answer. That, my friends, is indeed a Labrador puppy. Yeah, that's a puppy. All right, you're sort of one for one. Have you seen this before, sir? Okay, well then... This one here is a little trickier. Let's have a look at this guy here. He's got um, kind of a different kind of jaw. He's got some pretty fang-like looking things there. What do you think that is? Yes. An alien. An alien. I love that answer. That's the second time in history that I've heard this is an alien. What do you think it is? That's a bat. That's a good question. That's a good one. It's a cat. It's a chihuahua. 
Okay, I'll give you a little hint. This next one is kind of easy, and it's not a dog. Okay, here we go. What's this guy here? Just say it. A tiger. It's a saber-toothed tiger. Anybody else want to guess? Yes. Absolutely, the same saber-toothed tiger. That indeed, folks, is a saber... No, it's a Chinese water deer. <laughs> Couldn't you guess a water deer from its skull? You should know that. All right, here's the next one. What's that? Sorry? I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. A brachiosaurus. That's a good one. It's a, a, you've, you've taken two words and combined them together. A brachiosaurus is the name. You're very close. Well, it is, like, it is a long neck indeed. Now, I always say this guy needs to brush his teeth because they look horrible. But he is a Camarasaurus, which is part of that giant sauropod family. These guys have been watching those uh, cartoons because long neck is something that comes out in those. All right. Let's get serious here. You're about maybe one and a quarter out of four. If I was a teacher, what would your mark be so far? Zero. Well, not so good. <laughs> so you get one more chance. Folks, I've chosen a really easy one that you can get this and maybe we can pass you from the course. What is this guy here? A snake. Oh, good. We got it. Someone did say bat. That's right. Not only does that bat have fangs, that's a fruit bat. All right. I was a teacher and I never taught anything without having a lesson. So what are the lessons here? Well, the shape of the skull does not determine what an animal is going to look like. Let's be really honest here. Most of you were thinking, ugly skull, ugly... I'm not going to argue with you whether you think this thing is ugly or not. I think he's kind of cute, but here's the point. Looking at the skull, none of you even remotely got what this creature is. The second thing is this, features like fangs, and all of you fell for it, do not determine that an animal is savage killer. Nobody ever guesses that this guy eats grass, okay? So, I want you to remember this very important lesson when we talk about dinosaurs, because the only thing that we have of dinosaurs is their skeletons. All right. Let's have a look now for a few minutes as some of the very important questions about dinosaurs and those stumbling blocks. Question number one, why don't I find the word dinosaur in the Bible? That's a very good question. Well, the word dinosaur was actually invented by Sir Richard Owen back in 1941. 1841. I was just checking if you were awake. Two Latin words that it comes from. Terrible lizard. That's important that you remember this. Remember that I was a teacher and you want to you know because I'm giving you little clues and hints for further questions. All right. The word dinosaur is actually a fairly new word. The word computer, locomotive, and rocket were in the dictionary in 1828 the word dinosaur not invented until 1841. If I asked you a question, which word came first in the dictionary, dinosaur or computer, most people would guess dinosaur and you would be wrong. Dinosaur is actually a newer word than those three. The King James Bible was translated in English in 1611. 
The word dinosaur, 1841. Folks, there's a 230-year gap between those two things. And that is the reason why we do not see the word dinosaur in the Bible, because in the original English translation, there was no word. So the question is then, well, what is mentioned in the Bible? That's good. Let's go over to Job chapter 40, and let's see what God tells Job about a creature. He says, now look at behemoth, which I made along with you. Now that verse is very important because it means it was made at the same time as man. I don't know what behemoth was, but whatever this thing was, he was made at the same time as man. Now, in the book of Job, it's described as this. He eats grass like an ox, his powers in his stomach muscles, the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit, his bones are like beams of brawn, and his tail sways like a cedar. Now, what does a cedar tree look like? Well, they are huge, big trees. We live in an area in the lower mainland where we have lots of big cedar trees. You folks have lots of big pine trees, but there are cedars out here as well. Now, many people say that behemoth, why that thing was an elephant, because he's behemoth. Folks, I want you to look at that guy's tail. Is that like a giant cedar? That's kind of wimpy. In other Bible commentaries, they say this. They say the behemoth was a hippopotamus. Does that look like a giant cedar? It looks to me that this guy sat on a pine cone and that's his tail. Is it possible that maybe Job is referring to a huge sauropod that we just looked at a few moments ago. Now that tail is way more worthy of being compared to a giant cedar tree. Let's swing over to Job chapter 41 where we are introduced to this creature called Leviathan. We don't know what Leviathan is, but God gives us a little bit of an insight to what he looks like. No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. His sneezes flash forth light. That's weird. Out of his mouth go burning torches, sparks of fire leap forth. His breath kindles coals, and nothing on earth is like him, one made without fear. When I read those verses, I don't know about you, but something, maybe something that looks like this comes into your imagination. Folks, did you know that the word dragon and sea monster are mentioned 16 times in the Old Testament? And these words are not the same words to represent Satan, because Satan is often referred to as a dragon. Different words in the Old Testament. Well, let me ask you something here. What in the world would cause a creature to breathe fire? In chemistry, we call this a very straightforward combustion reaction. You need three things. You need some sort of a fuel, which is a gas. You need some oxygen. And you'll need some sort of a sparking mechanism. And if you get these three things in the right combinations and the right amounts at the right time, you're going to get what? You're going to get some fire. Now, the question is this. Is there any modern-day animal that can do something like this? And the answer is no. But here's an interesting start. Let me show you the bombardier beetle. This little guy can produce explosions out of his back end. In fact, he mixes 
two liquids at 500 explosions per second. My goodness, what does this guy combine? He combines two very interesting ingredients. He puts hydrogen peroxide, which is the chemical formula here, and he puts them together with something. Now, what do we use hydrogen peroxide for today? It's a very commonly used uh, chemical. If we do what with it? We clean our cuts with it. So that's hydrogen peroxide. Now, the second chemical is a little less known. It's hydroquinone. This is what its organic structure looks like. Does anybody know what it was used for? Many people used it on their skin to color their freckles. I don't know why. But if you take these two chemicals and you combine them together in this combustion chamber, they come out at an explosive 212 Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius. That is more than enough to do what? That's more than enough to blast somebody or to scare them away. Now, this little guy, this is the bombardier beetle. He actually has a little turret on his bottom end. And he can do something fantastic. He can swing this turret and shoot that guy and then shoot that guy. And then he runs away because he's exploded these things. And this is an amazing little process. Let's take this whole idea here from the bombardier beetle to the Parasolophilus dinosaur. Let's see what God has created with this thing couple of characteristics he's pretty big 31 feet 2.8 tons and his skull is six and a half feet so his his skull is is as tall as i am that's his whole head humongous inside this guy's skull here there were some hollow chambers and passages that connect through the nostrils and mouth and i've colored them in blue so you see them there and there is his nostrils right there now they feel that when this thing could get some air up in that horn of his and he could blow it, guess what kind of noise he might have made? We don't know because nobody was there. Well, I don't know if it's music, but he'd make a honk. <laughs> what would happen if this guy actually had some gases in his tummy from digesting his lunch and instead of a burp coming out of the top there, the burp would go through the horn, through the nostrils, which would provide the oxygen. And if there was some sort of a sparking mechanism, we don't know. They have found that this guy has a little pouch in the back there, and they don't know if he, maybe he had rocks back there, could grind his teeth. We have no idea. But maybe if he has the gas, the oxygen, and a sparking mechanism, maybe he could produce a flame. We have absolutely no idea. But I want to tell you this. I want you to think of this. If you ever came across the skeleton of an electric eel, would it ever occur to you that this guy could produce 500 volts of electricity? That's enough to sting a human being or maybe even kill them. Looking at a skull, you cannot tell what this thing is going to do. It's the same thing then with dinosaurs. What about these fire-breathing dragons? Well, this is a guy that was discovered in 2004. He's called the Decorix, or the dragon dinosaur, in Alberta. Now, this is very interesting because scientists now have figured out that this guy had a digestive system with bacteria that produced huge quantities of methane gas. Now, isn't that convenient? And flammable acids. Well, there you go. Now, you may be wondering, is there any other creature today that produces methane gas? Of course, sheep do. 
In fact, one sheep can produce up to 80 liters of methane gas in one day. We raise sheep on our farm and they make lots of gas. You may be wondering, well, how does this work? In super simple way, it's this. You got grass in, I'm sorry parents, but gas out. That's all you gotta do. Here's a cow with a gas bag. You maybe have never seen this before. This gas bag can hold up to 200 liters of gas in this bag. Now this is not popular here in North America, but many farmers in Europe have these gas bags on their cows, and no pun intended, they use it to run their natural gas equipment. Now that's very interesting. I don't suggest, especially 14-year-old boys, go out tonight and light up 200 liters of gas because you're going to get a very large explosion. And these dinosaurs were much larger than a modern-day cow, aren't they? Now, here's the deal. Is it possible? Yes. The blowing of flames out of the mouth of a dinosaur is possible as long as remember that the fire is occurring outside of the body as it leaves the mouth and not inside the stomach. We see lots of these modern movies today where we have the bad dragon and he goes and you see his tummy turn red and he blows everything. That happens once. Then you've blown your gizzards out and you're done, right? If you blow up this stuff, though, it's got to have gas that comes from inside, but the fire has to be outside. In all honesty, we have no idea. But the Bible says that this happened, and someday we will probably find out what was those fire-breathing dragons. Stumbling block number two. Were there dinosaurs on the ark? Very common question. Well, we know in the Bible that God said that he created all the land animals on day six of the creation, so they must have been on the ark. Now, this is a children's picture of an ark. It's very out of scale, and it's wrong. Now, there's something very important missing on this ark. What do you think it could be? Dinosaurs. So if you're going to choose a dinosaur, don't choose some sissy-looking thing. Choose some guys like that. You put some of those bad boys on that, that would be a fun way to go on a dinosaur trip, wouldn't it? On an ark, you'd have all those guys out there. The question rises now, well, how can Noah fit all those animals, including those dinosaurs, on an ark? Well, remember that we looked at the creation orchard there. All we have to look at is God's created kinds. It's been calculated. If you look at all the different kinds of animals and you add all the ones that have gone extinct and you add a whole bunch that maybe haven't even been discovered yet and you put all of those numbers today at very most you're probably looking at about 8,000 kinds of animals that were required on the ark the rest of them were in the water or didn't have to be there so you don't have to bring a whole bunch of them you have to bring no fish and no whales and none of those things because they're going to live in the water only the things that have the breath of life in there, and that are animals that are required by God. And by the way, remember that God directed the animals. Noah didn't go after round them all up. God directed them on, so he knew exactly what needed to go on there. Now, let's have a little uh, review of our dog skulls, because this is where this comes in. What was that guy? Yeah, that was a lab. This is a poodle, and this is a Great Dane. Now, here's the most important thing. If you look at all these skulls, they are very different. But if you would talk to one of these skulls, they would tell you, yeah, we're all different, but you know what? We're all still 
dogs. In fact, Noah would only have to take how many dogs on the ark? Two, a male and female. And from genetic variation, all the different dog types that we see today would be on the ark. Does this apply now to dinosaurs? Well, I want you to have a look very closely at these two skulls. I want to point out some similarities. We have a nostril cavity, nostril, eye socket, I mean nose, eye socket, eye socket, jawline, jawline, little bump on the back, little bump on the back. Hey, you know what? When scientists named these things, they said, look, this first one here is going to be an Apatosaurus, but the other one is a Diplodocus. Folks, you know what? I would very much like to propose that these things are the same dinosaur. Look at how different the dog skulls were, and we'd all identify those as dogs. These skulls are almost exactly alike, and they've come up with not only two completely different names, they're in different genuses altogether. Well, you know what happens then? If you come up with two, three, four, five names for different dinosaurs, you're going to get 540 different types. But if you say, look, these dinosaurs changed, or let me give you this. If you found a skull of me when I was three years old, or you found my, the skull of me when I'm 75 years old, would you think that's the same creature? You see, we all change over time. Well, maybe the dinosaurs, they change over time, and their horns change and all the rest of these things, and we've named them multiple different species, but the fact of the matter is they're probably all the same one. Someone sat down and said, you know what, we better re-examine all these numbers here. You know what, after a closer look at the fossils, they say there's only about 50 different kinds of dinosaurs. 50 dinosaurs out of 8,000 is really a very small number that had to be taken. Now, this is a more realistic animal-to-arc scale size here. And I want you to look at those guys there. There are some huge sauropods that were getting to ready to go on the ark. The argument is often stated, look, these dinosaurs are huge, and that's true. But like many other creatures, dinosaurs started out as what? Eggs. Very small. In fact, the largest dinosaur eggs were probably no bigger than an ostrich egg, or maybe a small junior-sized football. So it wouldn't make any sense then for God to direct, no offense, no fence that God would direct grandpa and grandma dinosaurs onto the ark that were huge because first of all they take up a lot of space and second maybe they might be past their ability to breed maybe God would direct what juvenile dinosaurs onto the ark do you know that they have discovered recently that dinosaurs have got growth spurts if you're a parent here and you have a child that's gone from age about, say, 12 up to about 18, what do these guys do? They eat like crazy. They found that dinosaurs also go through a growth spurt. In fact, this guy here, the Patasaurus dinosaur, they found out that he goes through this growth spurt. If you're going to take this guy on the ark, you take him on the ark when he's a little tiny guy, about four, spends a year on the ark, and then there's a time period for the vegetation of the earth to replenish itself. And lo and behold, when this thing goes through that teenage growth spurt, what's available? A huge amount of vegetation. And then this guy can go and exploit all these different environments. And then they can pass themselves on and breed and go all over the place. And this actually is a very easy explanation. So when people say, were dinosaurs on the ark? 
Absolutely, not a problem. All right, we're gonna play another game here now. This is for the kids. Well, the adults can play too, but you usually don't do so good, so we'll see how we do here. We're gonna have a dinosaur identification quiz. And what happens you have to do is this. We're gonna play a little game called Name That Dinosaur. Now, what you need to do is we'll let the children guess first, and if you can't, then the adults will get it. What you have to do, first of all, is you have to name it, and then the second thing we're gonna do is a little bit more difficult. So we'll start off really easy. What is this guy here? Validated. <laughs> It's a stegosaurus. You gotta remember these because they're gonna show up later. What does the name stegosaurus mean? That's a little bit harder. Adults, what does it mean? You know this. Spike. Something. Spike. <laughs> well, it's called a roofed lizard or a plated lizard. Okay, start to remember because I'm giving you clues about how things come about later. All right, here's another one. You should be able to recognize this guy. T-Rex. Everybody gets that. What does his name mean? Terrible lizard. Fantastic. Tyrant lizard or terrible lizard. Excellent. Now we're going to get a little harder. This one's a little difficult. It's a sauropod, but we need to know what this guy is specifically. What is it? Just say it out. It is unfortunately not that. It is a volcanodon. And this guy's name is very weird. We could spend all night trying to figure it out. I'll give it to you. It's Volcano Tooth. I don't know what it means. Okay? Here's a hard one. Now, adults, if you know this one, you jump in right away here. This is a very interesting thing. I'll give you a little hint. He is semi-aquatic, and he lives some of his life on the land and some of it on the water. Does anybody know exactly what this guy's name is? Just say it out. Very close. It's not an alligator. It is a nothosaurus, which means false lizard. Semi-aquatic sea monster. Okay, well, we've done pretty good on the lizards. We're going to do one more. I'm going to show you this guy, and I'll give you a little clue before you guess. Just wait, just wait. This guy is named after the province right beside British Columbia. Albertosaurus, you figured out. What does he mean? Born in Alberta. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Folks, you weren't paying attention because there's a pattern for the naming of all these things. What did Saurus mean? Alberta lizard. Alberta lizard. Excellent. I like the second name. This guy's called the T-Rex Light. <laughs> if this guy was born in Alberta, he's missing something very important. You know what he's missing? Yeah. Yeah. Is it possible that all the dinosaurs just played hockey to death and that's what caused them to die out? I don't know. All right. Third stumbling block. Is there any evidences around the world that dinosaurs and man lived at the same time? What I did was this. I put a little dot on the map where I found evidences of man and dinosaurs living in the same place at the same time. I got so many dots that the whole map just went blank. So I'm going to cut out most of those, and we'd spend all night doing that. I'm going to look at just a couple of examples. Here we go. Let's go on a little tour around the world. Stop number one is in Spain. This is the government palace in Spain, and inside the government palace is a chapel. 
And inside this chapel here, there is a table at the front, which is an altar. And that's where they have communion. And on this altar is a cloth. And the cloth goes over. And on the cloth, there is a stitching of a very important event. On this cloth is the slaying of the dragon by St. George in 303. Now I want you to see something. This cloth was sewn in 1600. The slaying of the dragon story took place in 303. What kind of an animal is that? You have to name it. What is it? That is indeed a Nothosaurus. But here's the deal. The cloth was sewn in 1600. The first Nothosaurus wasn't discovered until 1833. I'd like to ask this very important question. How did these artists know what a dragon or dinosaur even look like? Why on the altar cloth don't we see something like that? Or that? Or that? Is it possible that the person who sewed the cloth had some knowledge of what this creature looked like? Let me ask the adults this question. What's the mathematical probability of you being asked to draw something that you have never seen, it wouldn't be discovered for 250 years later, and you drew it absolutely perfect. I'll help you with your math. Zero. The probability of you drawing something perfectly without ever seeing it is probably zero. And that's a very interesting thing that these people knew what these creatures look like. Let's go on a, another trip to France. Now, when I taught in school, I asked the teacher, how do you pronounce this? And I tried to pronounce it, and she said, Clarence, don't bother. You just kill French. So you know what we're going to call this? This is Fancy Palace in France. I know that it's pronounced different. It's Chateau Royal de Bleu something. But anyways, inside the Fancy Palace, there are these carvings. And if you ask the curators there, they say, that's a salamander. And you look at this, and you go... Wow, we got a fire-breathing salamander? I have salamanders on my property, and I've never seen one of them breathe fire. I think this is some sort of a dragon. This is very interesting. Let's go to Cambodia, and we're going to go visit the Temple of Angkor. Now, I've noticed, or I have shown you the, the flags here of each of these countries. Do you notice something interesting about Cambodia's flag? Yeah, the temple is on the flag. You've got to be pretty important to get onto the flag of your country. Now, this is very important here because in the temple, there's these pillars. They've got all these carvings of these animals on these pillars. And the one that I want you to see is this one right here. It's the Stegosaurus. That's incredible. Folks, here it is. The temple was dedicated in 1186 the first Stegosaurus fossil wasn't discovered until 1877. That's almost 700 years after the carving. How in the world would the people of Anchor even come up with something that looks like that if they had never seen it, if there was no other record? Somehow they must have known what these things look like. You and I would never draw anything like that as our, from our own imagination. One more. 
Let's go down to England and let's look at the Carlisle Cathedral. By the way, do you notice to see a pattern in these buildings? They're magnificent structures of architecture and you can go and visit them. And they're not found in some really weird places in the world. They're in places that you can go to see. You can go to Spain, you can go to France, you can go to England. Inside the cathedral, isn't that an amazing looking church? I think that's very cool. Under the, the cathedral is the tomb of Bishop Bell. And the bishop there, he died in 1496. Now, the bishop must have loved animals because around his tomb, he has carvings of his favorite animals. We're going to play a little game here and see if you can guess the animals that he put around his tomb. So what does that thing look like? That indeed is a dog. How about that one? That's a fish. Two for two. How about that one? Some sort of a bird. This one's a little trickier. They say it's an eel, but the snake is good too. And of course, we have this one. Volcanodon dinosaurs. How in the world would this guy have dinosaur carvings of his favorite animals if he had never seen this thing? Because the Volcanodon skeletons were not discovered until hundreds of years later. That's an interesting thing. Let's do one more. Let's go to China and let's have a look at their Chinese calendar. On the calendar, there's lots of common animals. We've got the dog, chicken, tiger, rabbit, sheep, dragon. That's very interesting. Did you know that the Chinese calendar goes back 2,000 years? And the dragon is on there, just like all the other common animals. Cat, sheep, dog, pig. Tiger, we're living, in, we're living in the different years of the Chinese calendar. Folks, this is an artist's idea of what that Dracorex dragon was found in Alberta in 2004. What's interesting is that the Chinese calendar has these pictures, and they had them for 2,000 years, which I think is a very interesting coincidence. If you're interested in this stuff, then I would suggest this, what we call a coffee table book. These are dire dragons. In this book here, there's about 40 examples from around the world that show human beings and dinosaurs had to have coexisted because of the evidence that is being shown. There's also this wonderful, I saw some people buying this already, Dragons or Dinosaurs. It's in book form. I don't know if we have any of the books left, but I think there might be one or two DVDs. I showed this to my biology 11 class years ago, and they said, wow, this is incredible. No one ever showed us this before, that all these creatures live together at the same time as human beings. Well, let's have a look at the last question. Well, actually, the second last question. Are there any direct physical evidences of recent dinosaurs? In the first presentation, we looked at Dr. Mary Schweitzer's discovery, and she cut into a femur. Now, kids, which bone children which bone then on the t-rex is the femur bone which one is it the one above his knee well it's the one just above his knee right there you're exactly right that's called your thigh bone now what's interesting about the thigh bone it is the thickest diameter so there's something that's going to be inside there and you can tell me what happened when mary schweitzer cut into this thing she found what Branch blood vessels with uh, red blood cells still intact. 
That's an amazing thing. Dr. Schweitzer said at a later time, she said, everyone knows how soft tissues degrade. If you take a blood sample and you stick it on a shelf, you have nothing recognizable in a week. So why would there be anything left in dinosaurs? Dr. Schweitzer also discovered, I didn't know how to animate this, so this is my spongy soft tissue. Now the ball bounced, but really should happen is that the tissue squished. This is squishy material, folks, from creatures that supposedly died out 65 million years ago. I believe that this is one of the most important discoveries in biology and paleontology in the last hundred years. Any more evidences? Absolutely. Here's a juvenile ceratopsids in Alberta 2013. What makes this guy so incredible is that his inner gizzards there, they were all preserved. Kidney, heart, liver, and so forth. And in an interview from CBC, they said this, these inner things were preserved because it was buried right at the time of death before any of the other soft tissue had rotted away. And now this thing's been lying there for 70 million years. Is it possible for these very delicate tissues to last for 70 million years? I think this is an excellent example of what are we looking for in fossilization? Rapid burial, fast fossilization. Excellent example of that. Here's the last one. In 2013, there was some skin that was discovered up in Grand Prairie, Alberta. Folks, you notice that this stuff is not way over in some remote This is places that are near us. This is incredible. Someone found this chunk of something and they took it to this guy, which is Dr. Barbie at the University of Regina. They found also the skeleton and all the rest of the stuff and they said, hey, this thing is a what? Parasophilus. This is what Dr. Barbie said. He said, folks, this is real skin. This is incredible. He said, this real skin falls apart very quickly. This skin can simply not be 70 million years old. In fact, here's a list of actual biological tissues that have been recently found in dinosaurs. Folks, the blood vessels, red blood cells, all the different types of proteins, and we're not going to go into the biology of those, but that is an amazing amount of stuff they found, and recently even fragments of DNA. That's an incredible thing. Folks, this is very important that we understand that dinosaurs coexisted with man and they did not die out 65 million years ago because the scientific evidence shows that they did not. The last question that always get asked, well, Mr. Jansen, whatever happened to the dinosaurs? Well, you know what? The most honest answer is no one knows. Nobody knows what caused these and all these other types of animals to go extinct. And so I've heard a lot of really bad explanations, but I'm not going to share those with you. I'll share with you some possible explanations, but we're really not sure. Here's the first one. Probably most of them died out in the global flood with millions of other animals, buried, fossilized, and a few of them survived, but most of them got wiped out. How about change in climate? Here we have some nice tris, uh, triceratops. They wandered off into Alberta, and oh no, about November, hoompa! <laughs> snowed to death. It snowed this morning in Alberta. I, we don't want to tell them that, but anyways. My family lives in Alberta. I feel sorry for them. Climate change, maybe it snowed and these guys, they couldn't make it. This is very important. This is the one that I think is probably one of the good reasons. Called genetic entropy, it's a breakdown in their DNA due to stress. This is happening today at an alarming rate to us. 
We folks are not getting better genetically. We are getting worse. I can give you a really quick example. When I went to school, which was in the 1960s and 70s, nobody had a peanut allergy. Nobody was lactose intolerant. Nobody had all these other things. And today we have all kinds of children that have all these things. It's not their fault. It's called genetic entropy. We are genetically falling apart. We're not getting better and better because that's what evolution says we should be. We are getting genetically worse as we go down the line. Now this next one here is kind of difficult. Some people say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not a good answer. But if you think about it, you know what? Maybe this is a possibility because we have done this in the past. Is it possible that maybe humans thought these things were weird and they hunted them to death? And what about diseases? We have no idea what diseases existed hundreds and thousands of years ago. We've been able to identify many of them today, but that was the invention of what? The electron microscope. 700 years ago, people died and they had no idea what they died and they just called it they died of something. They had no idea what some of these diseases were. We have no ideas what diseases may have affected dinosaurs. Now, I'm going to just take a little side train for just a minute here because I think this is very interesting. There are species of both plants and animals that some scientists say went extinct millions of years ago, but recently some of these extinct species, uh-oh, are discovered to be still alive and well on Earth. Here's one example. This is called the Wilhelmina pine. It apparently went extinct 150 million years ago until, oops, we found them again in Australia and they're exactly the same. This is my favorite and there's a point here. This is called the coelacanth fish. It died out 400 million years ago until we actually find them alive and well today. I want you to see on how biologically this guy and this guy are exactly the same. Folks, if evolution was true over 400 million years of environmental pressure and selectiveness by natural selection and all the rest of these things, this creature would not look exactly the same as it is today. These creatures, they are not 400 million years old. Well, in the end, we really don't know. And if we never figure it out, it's okay. The important thing that we need to conclude here is this. There is no need for the church to be silent or uninformed anymore about dinosaurs. Why is that? Because Christians can boldly proclaim a literal six-day creation as clearly written in the book of Genesis, no matter how much the culture today has become evolutionized with their millions of years. Dinosaurs can actually be a great conversation starter for Christians to share your faith. Get a book like that and say to somebody, hey, what do you think about dinosaurs? You can start a conversation and share the gospel message with them. It's a great way to do it. Dinosaurs do not need to be divisive. Remember, it's always about winning arguments, or not winning arguments, it's about winning souls. We sometimes want to do that. We want to argue with people. We want to prove something to them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, folks. He needs to do his work. Let's do a little quick summary and then we'll wrap up this evening. Dinosaurs were created on day six of the creation with man and all the land animals because that's what it says in Genesis 1.24. The word dinosaur itself was not invented until 1841. Instead, the Bible actually uses words like behemoth, leviathan, dragons, and sea monsters 16 times in the Old Testament. All 50 dinosaur and dragon kinds, whatever these things were, 
could easily fit on the ark if we bring them as juveniles. You don't bring the 40-footers, you just bring the little ones. Dinosaur evidence is found all over the world today. I could have given you a hundred examples, but that would take five hours. It's found in art, carving, tapestry, and culture history long before, here it is, their fossils were ever found. They had to know what some of these things look like. And of course, the rapid burial and preserved remains of dinosaurs are actually being found all over the world today. And we can use dinosaurs as scientific evidence, what? Against millions of years, because Genesis, we said earlier, is real history, and we can trust the inerrant word of God right from the very first verse. Amen? Amen. This is the last slide I want to share with you. Folks, I'm not going to show you a hockey stick. I'm going to show you something else. Dinosaurs can become an effective witnessing tool for overcoming people's stumbling block to the gospel. Many times people say, you know, I want you to talk to this person and convince them that creation is true. I can't do that. All of these things that people struggle with, these are their stumbling blocks. All of it boils down to one thing. And here it is. It's a matter of the heart. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can change all of us from being sinners and repenting of our sin and become part of the family of God through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. That is what's going to save us. You can't argue your way into somebody to become a creationist or believe any of these things. They have to become a Christian and then understand that the Word of God can be trusted right from the very first verse. So remember earlier when I said, can you answer these questions? Well, you should be able to answer the question now, were, bi were dinosaurs in the Bible and how do they fit in the Bible? You can say, I can answer that now. Because you saw the information and now you can do your own research and you can do this. And this should be my encouragement to you that we should dig in and try to answer these questions. Because you know what? All these little children, they're going to ask you guys really tough questions someday. And we need to have the answers for them. Remember that the Creation Magazine, it's a wonderful teaching tool. Here is one more thing I'd like to share from a, a, a former uh, feedback page. I'm so grateful that my children had the life-saving benefit of being exposed to magazine for years, raising and working around teenagers. I see they struggle because they're indoctrinated from day one with real scientists don't believe in the Bible. Now here it is. If their parents don't support them, usually they'll have no support. Folks, your kids won't buy these books, but they'll read them if you buy them. The DVDs and the, the magazine, all those things are part of the process to equip each other. I want you to check out the dinosaur resources, and I've gone through some of them, and you see them back there. And the encouragement is the same one I gave for before, and we should be able to say this now with confidence. Our faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of of God. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been fun. I like doing the dinosaur one because it's a good opportunity to share the Bible. Thank you so much. Pastor, would you like to come and close in prayer for us? Well, thank you very much for uh, absolutely teaching us and informing us. Thank you. We've all come a little bit uh, more informed and equipped to be able to give an answer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you again for your holy word, for in your word is truth. Lord, we thank you that by your grace and the power of your spirit, you have revealed your truth to us again and again, savingly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to go out of love for you and love for the lost to proclaim your glories to a dead and dying world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be bold and faithful um, Lord, help us even in the things we learned tonight. 
um, Lord, to be able to, to um, instead of being on the defensive, Lord, we don't want to be offensive, but Lord, we want to go and lovingly seek to win souls for your glory. So help us, Lord, as we think about these things, help us to be wise and winsome, and help us, Lord, to uh, remember these things, to teach them to our children, um, Lord, to see responsibility that we have as parents, um, Lord, and as, as citizens, Lord, to be able to uh, proclaim your glories. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you.